Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Miyoko Shinner is recognized by the United Nations as a vegan revolutionary. She is back on the podcast for another extraordinary, very inspiring episode. She's an Epicurean activist who's leading the animal-free dairy food system of the future. She has dedicated her life to inspiring compassion through the joy of food and the positivity of plants to drive social and environmental change. Listen to how this absolutely incredible pioneer chooses herself in the most inspirational of ways. Miyoko Shinner, one of my favorite conversations of all time, was here with you last time, and I'm so honored and excited to have you back. Thank you for coming back. It's such a pleasure to be back. I love chatting with you at all times. Yes. Okay. We have so much to talk about. Uh, First of all, we have to cover this because this is, to me, enormous. Okay. The dairy industry dominates the conversation about food and nutrition. They insidiously initiate their insertion beginning in preschool with those posters in the classrooms of these like strong and sexy and cool athletes and celebrities with those milk mustaches. And then all the way to offering free continuing education, which is very expensive for like dietitians and doctors. So it's like, you know, if you out there listeners are, believe that you need milk to have healthy bones or that you can't get calcium or vitamin D or protein without dairy, they've officially indoctrinated you. But you, Queen Miyoko, recently had the best triumph over industry ever, in my humble opinion. So the California Department of Food and Agriculture told you to drop the terms of butter, I think lactose-free, hormone-free, and cruelty-free too from your label, and that butter belongs to the food industry, that it's going to confuse people. Can you just talk about this? Sure. Actually, um, they they said that it, it they didn't just say that it belonged to the food industry. They said it belonged to the dairy industry, to animal agriculture. And they also told us that we couldn't show pictures of cows on our website. And we actually had pictures of uh, a cow being hugged by a volunteer at our farmed animal sanctuary, Rancho Compassion, uh, a cow named Angel who was taken out of the dairy industry and is living the good life. Uh, Roman and grazing all day long and hanging out with her boyfriend, Louie. <laughs> and, um, and they said we couldn't show her. I mean, this was the most outrageous claim, I believe. So when we got this letter from the uh, CDFA in uh, December of 2019, instead of just lying down and say, fine, you know, we'll change our labels, we sued them on violating our uh, First Amendment rights to free speech. And we won last August. Uh, when a uh, U.S. district court ruled in our favor. So uh, we're thrilled. Uh, We felt that it created a huge precedent for, uh, I guess, what people call dairy alternatives. We don't actually call it dairy alternatives. We call it plant dairy. We think we're entering the era where we have to think of, we have to think of the expansion of the idea of dairy products to include uh, that which comes from plants as well as animals. And we hope over the course of uh, history, uh, plant dairy will rule out uh, animal dairy. And that's the direction that we want to head in. Amen. And congratulations. And thank you. Seriously, thank you. This is, uh, this is so amazing. It's, I, can't, like, I can't even imagine 
the, I'm just going to use the word chutzpah of the dairy industry to think that they could own cows and the name butter and all of that. Well, you know, here's the thing that we have to think about is that I think a lot of people, when you tell them, you know, you don't need to uh, drink milk, et cetera, um, or you don't need to eat meat, you can go vegan, et cetera. A lot of people go, well, I don't want to restrict myself. I can't live a life where, you know, I don't have choices. And what people don't realize is that they never really had choices to begin with. They went to school and they were taught from day one that they had to drink milk. They had to eat, you know, the, the USDA's dietary guidelines for the school lunch program tells you what you have to have in a school lunch program. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the option like, well, tofu finally is allowed, but it wasn't for a long time, for example. So you have to have a certain amount of protein. You have to have dairy. That is absolutely, soy milk, I don't believe is even an alternative. Almond milk, you certainly can't have. Um, and so, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but you know, this is what you can serve to school children has been regulated for decades. And so you didn't have free choice. Like you grew up in a food system that told you what to eat. So you never had the liberty to really think outside of that and think, I want to eat this or I want to eat that. And so veganism really is an open door to really exploring um, true freedom. Mm. And we live in this regulatory environment where you really aren't free to choose. Most people don't even know that there are other choices. And what people realize when they first go vegan is, oh my God, I never realized I could eat this way. I didn't realize that there were so many alternatives and that I was only eating the same foods every single day. Because most people really don't eat a wide variety of food. They don't even realize it until they go vegan. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I was eating the same stuff all the time. I was eating chicken five nights a week. (sighs) Yep. Uh, I'm going to share this crazy thing about the food industry and the USDA lunch program and all that. When I was rotating through the schools when I was an intern and I was kind of calculating what the kids were getting so that we could submit it to the USDA so we can keep getting funding for the, for the food and getting the food and everything. And I was like, oh, I, to- I told the preceptor, oh, the, um, the fat is, t- is above the threshold. And she's like, oh, that's okay. Just add some ketchup and that will bring up the carbohydrate and balance it all out. Oh my God. Well, and also doesn't ketchup qualify as a vegetable? Yeah. I mean, this is outrageous. Yeah. You know, and they're really, you know, a, a, a number of years ago and my kids were in school, they're all adults now, but um, I was trying to have an impact. I was working with a nonprofit um, uh, that was trying to get more plant-based foods into the school lunch program. And I was a volunteer and I was trying to talk to um, our local high school Uh, nutrition, uh, whatever, head of nutrition, school nutrition. And it was really, really clear. She just didn't care. All she said was, look, we have a certain price point we have to, we have to meet. And I was, you know, I was asking like, why are you selling potato chips and why are you selling pizza? And her answer is, well, it, it helps the bottom line. That was it. Like, that's all they really thought about. Yep. Always. It's crazy. It's just crazy. So speaking of the power of words, uh, you recently posted on your Instagram this really powerful call to action to stop considering your company, quote unquote, food tech and alt protein. And like you're saying now, you want to transition the term to plant dairy. But you you wrote at the end of this, I loved your profound word. I always love your words. But you said, I make food, perhaps new forms, but still from what grows from the ground, I want to bring people around the table to further our cause of bringing more people around the table. So I'm curious, not maybe what initiated that, um, if you're open to sharing that, but I really would love to ex- for you to explain this heartfelt message and the true visionary that you are, Miyoko. Why does this matter so much to you and the future of food? 
Because it's about humanity. It's not about fulfilling our nutritional needs. I mean, that's easily done with plants. But for society to, for humankind to continue, we have to learn to get along. We have to learn to come around the table, to break bread together, to find ways to solve problems, to go around the table and discuss our joys, our woes, our problems, to argue, to resolve issues. This is what humanity it, it has to be about. It isn't about you know eating, I don't know, some the latest plant-based burger in front of your computer while you know while you try to get your work done. That isn't going to bring humankind together. And we no longer come around the table. And our, our society is falling apart because people are eating on the fly. They're eating in their car. Um, people don't have family meals together anymore. Uh, we're not getting together as society. And food, I think the reason that society, that humankind somehow separated from, um, let's say, evolved, uh, perhaps, I don't want to say beyond, but in a different fashion than other animals, is because um, you know, we're, for some reason, we're species that learned that we were stronger together, that one, you know, one person could gather roots, somebody else could gather leaves, somebody else maybe at one point found some eggs somewhere. And we came together and we learned that we could cook together over fire. And we learned that we could be stronger together, that we could bond together. Um, no other species does this. Very few species, you know, I, I mean, I have all these other animals, like people, animals are they're eating on their own. They're finding their own forage. Um, they, they don't bring together and say, hey, I got some leaves over here and I got this. Let's make a big salad. You know, goats don't do that. But human, <laughs> humans do. And that is how we stayed together. And that's how we became tribes and a society. Um, and we're losing that. We're becoming individuals and, re and, and thinking of food as simply a form of nutrition or something you eat when you're standing up at a food truck or whatever. And we're losing the art of coming around the table. And this is extremely important to me. We have to get back to that, to conversation, to solving problems together, to, to becoming a family again, a family of humans. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I'm not excited by, I mean, a lot of, you know, we, we've been lumped, we've been characterized as the movement of, you know, the plant-based sector, the food tech, you know, we're alt protein, all these, these fancy words that investors get really excited by. Um, and that drive really just, I mean, it just drives investment. That's really what it's about, but it doesn't drive um, what I consider is going to save humanity. Um, I think what's going to save humanity is learning how to make beautiful food. And, and it's the love that comes from making beautiful food and serving it to others. Oh. And bringing people around the table. And that's what I've done. This is all I have ever done since I became a vegetarian and I, in, when I was 12 years old and I learned to cook and I loved making food for people. And when I was in college, um, I had a, a cheese party. I, you know, this, I was a vegetarian. I wasn't a vegan, but I had a cheese party in my dorm room every Friday night. You could always count on me for, for a, a cheese platter and some wine. And this just, over time, I mean, nothing brought me more joy than cooking and serving people beautiful food that delighted them and that created great conversation. And I, I want more people to do that. I want people to get in their kitchens and learn to cook, not just for themselves, not just for their, their family, but for others and bring people around the table. That is how we're going to, to bring, uh, that's unity. That's how we're going to come together as a society, as a world. 
a global society. I love that. And food is universal and it's primal and it's it survival. Is. <laughs> and and you're right. And like you look at the blue zones and part of the thing that makes and helps people live longer is the community. And we've all been broken apart, especially over the last couple of years. And it's, it's, it's like now is more important than ever to consider this. Absolutely. It really is. I, it's funny. I love that too. That's my favorite thing. And that's, I always say that's how I show love is by cooking for people and inviting them over. I always have a, one of your products as a center and it always gets the most attention always, <laughs> but I do. Well, thank you. Yeah, of course. Oh my God. Uh, yes. You're, you like bring people that are not even plant curious, but plant aversive, you know, people that are just like, think I'm crazy. You know, there's still those people out there that just still think a plant-based diet is so crazy. There's, it's, I can't believe that that's still the case, but your products and your messaging and well, the quality of your products itself speak for itself and get these people in the door. And I think that it's absolutely such a gift to the world, just your food, let alone the messaging behind it. Well, this, yeah, this has always been my life. I mean, er, you know, ever since I went vegan in my mid twenties, I cooked for people and I made, my goal was to make the most amazing food possible so that people, uh, obviously nobody was vegan at the time, would come around and go, oh my God, if I could eat like this, I would be vegan. Yeah. And that's all it takes. Nobody really cares if they don't eat animals. They really don't. I mean, I've never had anyone sit at my table and say, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm missing something. I want something bloody to chew on. No one has <laughs> ever said that. Everybody who sits at my table has always said, oh my God, this is so fantastic. I'm stuffed. This has been so satisfying. And that's what you want. You just want to learn how to make great food. Totally. That's always my goal is to make sure everyone leaves very satisfied. And they always do. They always do like, wow, they realize at the end, oh wait, there weren't any animal products here. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So satisfying. Yes. Let's move into something that we're both super passionate about and uh, comes again. We'll, we'll just kind of kick it off with another post on your Instagram page because you're so good at that. And I'm watching, um, you just recently posted something and, um, the words on this post said, I am powerful. I am beautiful. I am enough. And you were speaking out to women and to people reminding us that we need to remind ourselves of this daily and to radiate our internal strength and beauty. Talk about that. How are you doing that for yourself? Talk about where you are with that. Sure. You know, actually those words were actually on a cosmetics box that was uh, given to me by a vegan uh, cosmetics company called Kella. And I opened it up, beautiful box, beautiful packaging, and those words were in there. And I thought, oh my God, this is really interesting because I can't imagine a box of shaving cream, a fancy shed, you know, set of shaving cream for a man having those words. Why is it that those words were on there for uh, women's cosmetics? And it's because we women need to hear those words. We need to be reminded of those words because whether you know it or not, and I was in denial for so much of my life, is that we grow up from the time we're young, you know, we're told, uh, I mean, I was always told, keep your voice down act like a lady. Um, you know, um, my brother who's 10 years younger got so much more attention than I, than I did. And, and you don't even realize these, these things are happening, but there's subtle messaging throughout society that, you know, you have to look a certain way so that you can get a guy or whatever. And we all go, I, mean, I think we all realize that today, but you get to be my age, you know, I'm in my sixties now. 
and you suddenly realize that you're still suffering from this lack of self-belief and confidence. And it seems like the more powerful I become, that is, you know, the, the bigger my company becomes, the, um, the more profound my impact on the world is, and the more profound my impact on is in my company, the more pushback I get from, from people, from, uh, the, the more questions I get, more, uh, scrutiny I'm, I'm subjected to. And I sometimes wonder if I were a guy leading this company, would I be under the same scrutinies, the same questions, the same whatever? And I realize all the time that every time somebody asks me something that's difficult, um, I doubt my positioning. Hmm. And um, I wonder, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this person is right. Um, and I, I'm constantly examining myself and undergoing self-doubt. Um, you know, every I think a lot of people have heard about imposter syndrome, um, but this is when you, you know, you're a, um, I don't know, a, a leader, or you're in a company, a manager, executive, CEO, whatever, and you're constantly questioning when are they going to find out I'm not really who I who they think I am, because you don't really believe in yourself, and and so many, and a lot of people suffer from this, even guys suffer from this, but as it, it's overwhelmingly women in key roles that suffer from this position, uh, from this, this syndrome. Um, and you know, a few years ago I was really suffering from it. It was like, when are they going to learn that I'm not really a CEO and when am I going to get kicked out of this role? Because, um, I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, and this is something that is, um, obviously, you know, I started a company that has grown to this position and obviously I had something to do with that. Um, but um, you know, I had probably a lot to do. Uh, with it. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, but at the same time, you're constantly questioning it because there's all these MBAs around you uh, that are supposed to be experts, et cetera. And what I finally realized recently was that all these MBAs that have expertise and that have done so much, why are they working for me? Why didn't they start their own businesses? Mm. And, and it's because it, despite the fact that I don't have an MBA and I may not be an expert, I had something that nobody else had. And that's the same with every single founder of a company. They had an idea that nobody else had, or maybe others had it, but they had the chutzpah to get it off the ground in a way that the MBA didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to realize that that is our strength, that we had a vision that others didn't have. And not only did we have a vision, we had the whatever it took to execute on that vision. And that's why investors invest in us. That's why MBAs come to work for us. And so every time we question ourselves, like, oh my God, when, are, when am I going to be found out that I really am not the CE, the real CEO? You have to realize you are the real CEO. You are the true visionary and you have to believe in yourself. Um, I have women, you know, women founders talk to me all the time about their self-doubt. And it is something that is very hard to get over. Um, and uh, we have to keep, I mean, we're kind of at that, we're a transitional generation. Women's lib started in the 1960s, 1970s. I remember, you know, Gloria Steinem, I grew up in that era, but women really didn't make headway. I feel like it's the Gen Zers today that are really the first generation that are really beginning to think differently. And they're still on the tail end of, of you know, what we went, what we're going through. Um, so 
um, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. I don't know. I, are you a millennial or baby boomer? I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm my daughter. We were just talking about this. I think Jen, oh, now I forgot again. I always forget these, no, the names. I think I'm Jen X. Is that okay? That all, right. all right. So anyway, I think we're still caught up in a lot of this and we realize that we have to break away from, um, uh, the, the old thinking, but we're still caught up in it. And I think the Gen Zers, the youngest generation are the first, uh, that are really just thinking about all of this in a different way. I hope so. I mean, especially we're mothers of girls and you know, you hope so. I, I have to be honest. First of all, I'm, I'm the same. I have imposter syndrome all the time where I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're going to ask me to talk about nutrition. Like, you know, you wonder, you question yourself all the time. And it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it. It's like humbling to hear you talk about it at this level of success you've attained. And we talked about this last time actually, and how you felt like you were overcoming it. And I would, to be honest, I would think it'd be the opposite where like, because you're so successful and it's doing so well that you would have less pushback and less resistance. So I find it kind of interesting that you're finding it more and more, maybe it's just bigger and bigger people that are, are, are addressing it or I, I just think that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think the bigger you get, uh, the more, more you get challenged, um, because the stakes are higher. Mm. And, and, uh, when, you know, when you're, when you're early on, people question you, but you know, the stakes are also lower. So they're like, well, oh, we'll give them some runway. And then you <laughs> uh, get to that level and, and then the scrutiny just becomes, um, much, much stronger. Whereas you are taking on the dairy industry, which, you know, oh my right. gosh, enormous, enormous. So you are persisting and that's like the perfect example of not taking it, like just standing up and no, you are the visionary. You, this is what you're doing and this is making a difference. And that's why people like the dairy industry are getting afraid. And I think that's progress. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, we do have this farm transition program that is really, really taking off now. Um, it, we have a, a young woman who uh, I hired about a year ago to lead the farm transition program. Um, so if you're interested, go to dairyfarmtransition.com. I think it is. You can read about our program, uh, but we're partnering with uh, Animal Outlook and, and Mercy for Animals and others. And we're uh, going to be transitioning a dairy farmer. And we think we've finally identified one. We're working with Rodale Institute as well to help identify the types of crops and how the farmer is going to transition and really give them hands-on aid. Um, it's a fantastic program. And, um, you know, we have gotten a lot of, uh, pushback for that program as well from, from dairy farmers, um, in California, which it's very interesting. Initially we wanted to find a farmer here in California because we're right here in California. Um, and, uh, the head of the California dairy association, I think sent out an email to all California dairy farmers to watch out for us. <sighs> Um, and so we haven't gotten any traction here at all. It's been interesting. Um, and so the farmers that we're talking to are, um, you know, in New York and Wisconsin and Ohio. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, dairy farmers are really, really struggling. They're not doing great. Many of them are like uh, kind of, you know, hanging by a shoestring trying to keep their operations uh, going before they have to sell land because, uh, the, of consolidation in the dairy industry. And if a consolidator says, we're not going to buy your milk anymore, we're going to, um, you know, 
go to a different farm or whatever, you're out of luck. You have nowhere to sell your milk. In the old days, you know, you, you bottled your own milk and you sold it. You were the milkman as well. And that doesn't happen anymore. And, and that's happening uh, to thousands of dairy farms that are shutting down on a yearly basis. Um, less so in California because the farms here are bigger. But throughout the rest of the country, um, absolutely, dairy farmers are struggling. So we think we've identified a dairy farm that we're actually going to transition. We have the tools now uh, uh, by working with Rodale Institute and others to transition a farm to regenerative organic agriculture, growing crops that will become part of our supply chain. And um, we're super, super excited about it. But, you know, that that kind of scrutiny also, I mean, we're just getting it from all angles. But you know what? That's okay because we want to help people imagine a new future. I want to help dairy farmers imagine a new future for, for the system of food. I want women to imagine a new future for their enterprises. Um, we have a, we're sitting in a perfect opportunity to really think about what kind of future do we want to create and, and to plan it and to, um, and to, and to create it together. Amazing. 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 You are such a gift to this world. I just can't even wrap my brain around it. That's disruption and transformation and you're making it happen. You are making this happen. Last time we spoke about validating self-doubt and listening to your intuition. And so this is one thing. And I also, what else, what is next for you? Like, um, are you also taking some time to enjoy your animals and your farm sanctuary? What else besides this, this new venture? are you doing for you? Oh, for me, gosh. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. Well, so something hap uh, hap happy and, uh, well, something happy. We had two lambs born this morning at Rancho Compasión. That was kind of an oopsie moment. It wasn't supposed to happen. Uh, we rescued two bummer male lambs last year, raised them in the house, and uh, we castrated them, but there must have been... Uh, Apparently after castration, uh, they were separated, but there's like a, a two month period when they're fertile. And I guess when, you know, they were sort of reintroduced, there was a oopsie moment. <laughs> so that, that's not supposed to happen at a sanctuary because we're not trying to create more, but um, unfortunately we did. Fortunately or unfortunately, well, it's fortunate in the sense that, oh my God, these two little lambs <laughs> are the cutest. So that was my morning. I, I got here to the office late because uh, my daughter, who is a farm sanctuary manager, called me up to, oh my God, they're twins. And I ran oh. down there. We had to clean the umbilical cords and all of that. They are so cute. So that was kind of a happy morning, but I know we weren't supposed to do that. <laughs> did. Um, and uh, I'm going to be taking off in, in a, uh, um, well, I'm going to tell you about one program that we're working on that uh, is really, really exciting. Um, we're, we're partnering with... Um, uh, Dominique Cran, who is the world's only three Michelin starred female chef. And she has an amazing restaurant called Atelier Cran. And the most amazing meal I think I've ever had in my life, uh, a vegan meal is her. She's plant forward. She's not 100% vegan, but uh, she is, she's getting there. And um, she is doing a major fundraiser for uh, World Central Kitchen, which is uh, Jose Andres's uh, kitchen to feed. Um, well, he's got a, a big thing uh, feeding Ukraine right now. And the Russians actually bombed uh, one of his kitchens. Oh, wow. In Ukraine, which is really terrible. We're, we're trying to raise a million dollars uh, to help feed Ukrainians. Wow. We're partnering with uh, Dominique Kren, and it's a breaking bread uh, uh, campaign. 
Uh, so different chefs are breaking bread on online and trying to re and uh, we're selling these bread kits uh, that include our butter, actually. So so that's what we're doing, trying to re not sell, but getting donations. And then you get a bread kit to make this the unity bread. So, you know, we want to support different. Uh, gosh, you know, really just it's all about breaking bread and bringing people together. And we want, you know, eventually, hopefully it's a vegan world. That's that's what I'm hoping to create. So there'll, there'll be a, um, uh, a vegan recipe in there for making bread as well with our butter. But, um, you know, this is the, the vegan world is one that's all about compassion and hopefully if we can all come around around the table breaking bread together you know hopefully there'll be peace on earth so um it's something that humankind has been striving for it's sad that a lot of people still don't believe in it um and this is something that is a, a passion project of mine because i really do believe in the evolution of humankind and humanity to uh, becoming more spiritual um, and evolving to becoming less violent. Um, so while wars rage on, I still do believe that that we can progress as a as a species, as humanity. Um, and I think you know veganism and the awakening to the destruction of other life forms on this planet, um, and realizing that we can't continue in that way is is one way that we can achieve that. So. Um, Anyway, I don't know. I'm just jumping around all over, but um, no. so that I'm working on. And then um, I am going on a, a vegan Croatian tour that oh. I'm leading in at the end of June. So I'm excited about that. Wow. And, yeah. And so before that, there's still like a couple cabins available if anybody wants to join. I want to join. <laughs> come, come. And then before, before that, I'm going to be going to this. I'm really excited about this. Um, this conference in Italy in Perugia, where we're going to be talking about the um, the future of food and what is that what does that system look like and what is the future we want to create. So I'm really excited about that opportunity to gather with other um, uh, leaders around the world in the food system, not to just sit there and listen to panelists, but to literally have nothing but brainstorming sessions all day long to talk about what do we need to think about, how do we do this together. And to come up with a charter, so that's called uh, Edible Planet Ventures, and that's a conference that um, that I'm partake partaking in. So I'm excited about that as well. Wow, Miyoko, extraordinary! Oh, cheers to all of that. Amen to all of that. Miyoko Shinner, you are such an extraordinary, brilliant light in this world. I am so grateful that you're here. Thank you for everything you do, and I'm just sending you so much love and light and gratitude. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for everything you do as well. And it's been great talking to you. Every single cell of my body is lit up right now. She is so extraordinary. Miyoko Shinner is such a gift to this world. I hope you loved that as much as I did. And if you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash choose you now to have access to exclusive content and find out what Miyoko Shinner eats in a day and what her favorite of her own products are. Also consider subscribing to the show, rate and review us on iTunes and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.